Joined by friend of the show, big time friend of the show. We're good enough friends. He gave me a free piece of exclusive merchandise. Brandon Mackey, welcome to the show, bud. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. And like I said, appreciate you rocking the internal budget swag, dude. Anytime. The fans are demanding for it to, to go on sale. So it's time to sell some merch, I think, Brandon. Uh, cash in on it. I don't know about that, but we're going to try to get some shirts out to some people on a limited basis to start. And then we'll, we'll go from there. There you go. Exclusivity is very, very important. Now, in, t- in today's episode, moving on, in today's episode, we're going to recap for the first half, the trade deadline. Sanders made some moves. NHL, there's some interesting moves in today's deadline. And then we're going to discuss a few other things, sends related. So firstly, yesterday, last night, the Sanders, they traded defenseman Mike Riley to the Boston Bruins for 2022 third round selection. Now at the time, I personally wasn't a fan of it until we claimed Victor Mete. Um, but now since we claimed Victor Mete, I'm a fan of the deal. But uh, before I go more into it, Brandon, what were your thoughts on that deal with Boston? This is about what I expected. Um, Boston ended up being a little more active than I thought, which I'm sure yeah. we'll, we'll touch on later. But uh, but I, in terms of Mike Riley, I knew the Senators probably weren't going to get a second round pick or definitely not a first for him. Is a middle pairing defenseman in a year that's kind of a weak market just based on the COVID situation and everything. So I was happy with the return. Again, it was about on par with what I expected. Um, not broken hearted that they decided not to re-sign Mike Riley, that's not to say I would have been opposed to it. Uh, I think that it's a good way to give some young players a shot. Like you mentioned, Victor Mete, that was a fantastic waiver claim. I'm a huge fan of that. Um, so the young players get a shot for the rest of the year, and the Senators will probably have to add another middle pairing option or two in the offseason. Um, so with that, with all that in mind, I think it was exactly what they were hoping for, and I have no, uh, no qualms about it whatsoever. Now, I think um... – The next deal that came like an hour later was a deal that not many people expected because while we traded Braden Coburn to the New York Islanders for 2022 seventh round selection, I think many people were surprised at the fact that we even got a seventh round pick for Braden Coburn. I'm not trying to be a dick towards Braden Coburn. Listen, like I'm sure he's a nice guy. He's won a cup. All the best to him. He's definitely better than hockey uh, compared to Brandon and I, you know, who are, you know, he's definitely a better hockey player. But at the same time, he's clearly at the other end of his career. So Ottawa gets a seventh-round pick from the Islanders. I personally like that deal. You know, um, you get a seventh-round pick. You get an asset for a guy that wasn't even playing on the team. But, uh, Brandon, what were your uh, what are your thoughts on that deal for Ottawa? I mean, I really don't have too many thoughts on it. Like like you, I was honestly a bit surprised that they got anything for Coburn. Yeah. Um, I think a seventh-round pick, like, you know, what can you even say about it? It's totally fine. It's for a guy who um, – is going to be nothing more than a rotational piece or a depth piece on a playoff team. Even last year when he won the cup with Tampa Bay, he only played three games in the playoffs. So for Coburn, yeah, I mean, I'm more than happy with a seventh round pick. I think it was more about clearing up the roster spot to get some young players in there. So yeah, no issues with that one whatsoever. I think that's a fine trade. Now, as the clock winded down today, the Sanders traded another defenseman. That's three defensemen in a span of, 14 hours since traded and we're going to get to that in a moment with the Victor Mete claim because in my opinion Ottawa has very much improved their defensive corpse while trading half their defensive corpse but before we get to that part of all of of this today Ottawa traded defenseman Erica Branson to the Nashville Predators for a 2023 seventh round selection and a guy with an awesome first name as Brandon and I will agree Brandon Fortunato so Brandon how are we feeling about having a Brandon in the Sens organization, and then as well, your thoughts on the good, the good Branson trade. Oh, it's huge. We have a ton of Brandon representation on Sens Twitter, but not Amen. quite enough through the organization itself. So, <laughs> you know, with, with that in mind, the trade's a home run. <laughs> yeah. As far as good Branson is concerned, uh, I think there is something to be said for the fact that the Senators gave up a fifth round pick for him in October and were only able to recoup a seventh and an AHL defenseman for him now. Um, I mean, I, I keep going back to this and I hate to beat a dead horse, but you give, you let Mark Borowiecki walk for nothing only to bring in a guy who makes what, like $4 million more as um, performed worse statistically. And you gave up an asset for him. You didn't even get a second round pick or anything as a sweetener. So 
with that in mind, the Eric Goodbranson era in Ottawa has been a bit of a disaster for me. And I have nothing against the guy. He seems like a phenomenal person. He's a local kid who got to play for um, play for his hometown team. So that's pretty cool. Um, by all accounts, the players loved him. The coaching staff loves him. But I mean, it, it turned out okay. I, I just don't see how it benefited Ottawa in the long run. If anything, this trade feels like a lateral move. But in Brandon Fortunato, you're getting a guy who who has some potential. Uh, he's got some scoring touch. I, people have really liked what they've seen from him, especially at the college level at Quinnipiac University. And from there, he's gone on to have some success in the ECHL last season, only nine games in the AHL this year. So it's kind of hard to judge, but I would imagine that he's going to play a pretty sizable role uh, on this Belleville team as soon as he gets there for whatever games they have left. Um, so I think he'll be back next year and probably playing on Belleville's blue line. So you get an AHL defenseman out of it, maybe a guy who can uh, eventually translate into a bottom pairing NHL defender or a seventh D man and a seventh round pick. It's obviously a throwaway pick, but the senators have hit on those picks in the past um, in those, yes. in the later rounds. And also it being in 2023, um, it is not much of Immediate return for Ottawa, but at the end of the day, it's it's a pick that they're going to actually have a chance to scout because it's this year has been yeah. notoriously hard to scout, uh, and the 2021 draft class is weaker to begin with um, from everything that I understand. So, a lateral move all in all, but for a guy that you needed to move out and not have on your roster at the end of the season, I think it's totally fine. And the Predators get yeah. some defensive depth. They've got some injuries with, um, I believe Ellis has been dealing with some injuries. I know Boro's still not back in the lineup yet. So so it's good for all sides, I think. With the deal, what Ottawa's getting, it's, it's, it doesn't even matter about the return. Sure, he got Fortunato. He had 21 points last, a couple of years ago with Florida in the ECHL. You mentioned how he's in the AHL right now. He has a little bit of scoring touch here and there, but it's not even that. It's the fact that Eric Branson, and you mentioned for a fifth-round pick, we traded for him, and we got a seventh-round pick back. I'm fine with that, like you just said. Listen, he we didn't trade for Eric Branson for him to really play and be a top-four defenseman. No, definitely he, Compared to the way DJ Smith deployed him, that was not his intention uh, when <laughs> he was traded. He was traded here for his off-the-ice leadership, his off-the-ice mentorship, and his character and his – experience that he brings to the locker room off the ice to help mentor and to hit the salary floor and and on top of that to hit the salary floor exactly so at the end of the day the fact we even got anything back for eric branson is frankly a miracle guy seems like a great guy but he's 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 in the twilight of his career to be honest now and i i don't i don't say that lightly but he doesn't really bring much to your team uh, except stuff off the ice. And when it comes to that, he's very valuable. So for Nashville, they're getting a guy who, you know, can rally the troops, has been there before. Ottawa's getting a guy in Brantford Tornado, like you said, who has some has some potential. He's probably going to be an AHL lifer, but we'll see. Hopefully I'm wrong. And a seventh-round pick, you know what? Ottawa has taken guys like Alfredson and Stone in the sixth round. So never count out the Sanders finding somebody late in these drafts. Now I want to transition this over to Victor Metti, the newest Ottawa Sanders left-handed defenseman today. A friend of the show uh, sends in uh, sleeping Baker, sorry, on Twitter, uh, Finnegan's ghost. Some people will call him uh, released some old tweets from Victor Mette. Um, a lot of good ones. So I'm already a big fan of the kid. Uh, this guy's 22 years old. He's an RFA. He's five, nine, but he brings a lot of potential potential top four defenseman as well to the team. So there's a lot to like about this claim. And uh, Brandon, why don't you go first and discuss uh, why you're excited about Victor Mete being an Ottawa Senator? I tweeted as soon as Montreal put him on waivers that the Senator should absolutely be putting in a claim, especially if they were moving out guys on the left side, like Riley and Coburn. Uh, he's not a world beater by any means. Um, he has had some kind of struggles across the early part of his NHL career. There are some folks that'll contend that he was rushed into the NHL too early as a 19 year old, but for now the senators are getting a young guy, a left-handed defenseman who's quick can move the puck um, and can bring something to their third pairing, or maybe even a second power play unit. Um, especially depending if, you know, Eric Branstrom doesn't quite find it, but though there's no reason to believe that he yeah. won't. Uh, it, it's just a player that the Senators can't afford to pass up on. Um, Jake Sanderson is at least another 100%. year away. Um, now Coburn and Riley are gone. So your options on the left side before this claim happened were Thomas Shabbat, Eric Branstrom, Cody Golubev, and Ali Alsing. 
who has yet to play an NHL game. Yeah. So I, I think for Ottawa, it is a low risk, high reward venture. Um, and on top of that, Mete is a restricted free agent at the end of the year. So the senators do maintain contractual control, even if you bring him in and he falls off a cliff, like he has the worst end of season stretch you've ever seen. You can let him walk for free um, and not worry about it. Um, or you can maintain his rights and trade it for an asset if you can. Um, I think they bring him back. I think he's at least part of the rotation next year as far as the blue line is concerned but I'm a big fan of the move Um, like I said it's not a player that the Senators can afford to take a pass on Um, I didn't expect them to claim him to be honest with you Uh, I thought maybe he didn't quite fit into what they were trying to do size-wise and you know they've just haven't really claimed many guys off waivers in in the past so I really like it I'm anxious to see how he performs tonight against Winnipeg and and the rest of the season Um, so yeah pleasantly surprised by them claiming Victor Mete and I'm a big fan of it I'm excited to see what he can do I agree and I think Victor Mete what's most important about him and the claim itself for Ottawa is it makes the Mike Riley trade more palatable and makes it more sense now look Ottawa, they traded Coburn, Goodbranson, and Riley in return. They got a third-round selection, two-sevenths, any AHL defender, uh, Brandon uh, Fortunato, and then, of course, claimed Victor Mete. That's a great day for Pierre Dorian. Um, And uh, Victor Mete, like you said, 22, he's an RFA. You can dump him if you need to. You can re-sign him if you want to. You you basically have numerous options with Victor Mete. So he's – there's no tie to Victor Mete, and – the ceiling is so high, you have to take a shot here, and they are. And um, with Victor Mete, like you said, tonight, he's making his Sens debut right away against Winnipeg tonight. It's Monday night. Uh, we're doing this for just to mention, we're doing this during the just after the trade deadline. Um, but with Victor Mete, uh, you're getting a guy that I think he's going to want to really prove it to Montreal that they made a big mistake. And I think he's going to get at the, all the opportunities in the world to do that with Ottawa. Now I want to transition this further now towards the National Hockey League as a whole. Up here, we're here in Canada. We don't really look down south right now. We're kind of focused on the North Division, but uh, let's take a focus down south because there were some interesting trades. Firstly, Taylor Hall to the Bruins. Didn't even get a first-round selection. How do we feel about that? I get what people are saying when they say that, you know, Hall's having an off year. But if you look at Nick Foligno commanding a first round pick, and I love Nick Foligno, um, yeah. you know, even even back to his Sudbury days, you know, growing up in the same hometown as him, like he's a phenomenal dude and he's a perfect fit for what the Leafs are trying to do. So, I mean, if that guy gets a first round pick, though, and Taylor Hall, who's a, a previous Hart Trophy winner, um, and in spite of what's happening this year is an elite winger who's dealing with some all time bad shooting luck. Uh, I, I don't get it. I don't understand how Buffalo has managed to completely bungle this situation at every turn. Like we in Ottawa have had to deal with some tough times over the past few years, yes, but nothing, nothing so. compares to what's gone on in Buffalo. They 18 can't losses do- in a row. It's, it's, it's embarrassing. Well, that's just the least, that's just the least of it, right? Like if you look at their ownership situation, if you look at their executive, there is nothing going right. They can't hire a good GM. They can't hire a good coach. Their owners don't appear to care. Uh, Their best players have either been hurt, not performing or both. They don't have a deep prospect pool like Ottawa does. Dylan Cousins is a stud. Um, but from there, like things really fall off. Like Casey Middlestad has not been what they need. There's just not a whole ton to be excited about in terms of Buffalo Sabres hockey. So that little rant aside, I, I mean, they got a good player in Bjork, uh, a good good bottom bottom six player. Yeah. They got a second round pick. Um, and the Bruins, I mean, the Bruins are, you know, my dad is a huge Boston Bruins fan and he was pretty annoyed through the, through the, earlier part of yesterday about how inactive Don Sweeney has been, especially not acquiring a David Savard type player when they've Mm. had so many injuries on defense this year. Um, So the Riley trade I liked for Boston, but the hall trade, I mean, I love you plug Taylor hall onto that second line with David Krejci and probably Craig Smith. I mean, that shooting luck's going to go away pretty, pretty quick. Um, He's going to start producing right away. Uh, And you you couple that in, you get Curtis Lazar, who at this point in his career is a good fourth line player. Uh, I'm really liking this trade for Boston. I think they just upped their playoff odds a bit uh, with regards to the potential to make a deep run. I think it's a good fit for Taylor Hall. I think it's a good fit for the Boston Bruins. I just wonder what the hell is going on in Buffalo where it's come to this. You sign this guy for one 
one year at 8 million, knowing that you're going to trade him at the deadline uh, and you can't even get a first round pick for him. It's just, and you retain half the salary too. That's the other thing you retain, you retain half the salary and you still can't get a first round pick. Are you kidding me? For Buffalo like, it's it, a disaster, but for, I want to, I want to look at this more at Boston. We already know Buffalo is a disaster yeah. here in Ottawa. We can understand organization, organizations that are going through a little bit of an issue. Uh, Buffalo has been a little historic lately, to be honest, the way they've treated their alumni, to be honest, and there's a bunch of other things. It's been, it's been terrible. But for Taylor Hall, he's always had to be the guy. In Edmonton, he was the guy. In New Jersey, he was the guy. In Buffalo, Jack Eichel's the guy, but he was part of the core. Now in Boston, the big three in Marshawn and Bergeron and, of course, Pasternak are going to overshadow Taylor Hall, I'm sorry, that's the truth. So now Taylor Hall can play in the shadow and maybe he can go back to his form with less pressure on him. Yeah. We've seen that many yeah. times, so many times in the NHL. I would not be shocked if all of a sudden Taylor Hall starts tearing it up like he did originally when he was a rookie with Edmonton. We'll mm-hmm. see. But I th- he's, I a sec- he's, a, he's a second line guy, you know? He's gonna, he might even be on the second power play unit the way yeah. this Boston team, like they're loaded. So, and again, like I said, I'm a... Big David Krejci fan. For my money, he's been one of the more underrated players yes. in the league over his oh, yeah. career. Um, the way he moves the puck and his ability as a playmaking center is going to do wonders for Taylor Hall. So I'm actually very excited to watch uh, to watch Boston play Buffalo tonight. I think that might be my my simulcast with Ottawa playing Winnipeg tonight. I might have my eye on that Bruins game, especially because I just traded for Taylor Hall in fantasy. <laughs> there, there you go. Uh, my fantasy teams, hey, just quick segue before we get to the next trade. Both teams made the playoffs. Little nervous. Uh, didn't make any trades at the deadline, but I'm pretty confident with the boys. I um, had I lost I lost Nugent Hopkins and Stamkos going into the playoffs to injury, so I had to make I had to trade Tyson Berry for Taylor Hall, and I'm hoping it pays off for me. One for one, huh? A little one for well, one. The action. trade is one for one. <laughs> oh man, let's not bring up those memories. That's a little PTSD there. Uh, next next trade actually was a bit of wizardry by um, new general manager Detroit Steve Eiserman, which makes me very worried to be in the same division as Steve Eiserman. Um, firstly, he has a connection with Ottawa, so he, there's no chance he ever comes to Ottawa. But hey, there's definitely if you think about it, there's it would make theoretically there's a chance, but even though there's no chance. But anyway, as long as Pierre Dorian never tries to trade with him, don't care. Don't if trade I, with if that I'm guy. Eugene Melnick, I'm blocking that number for Pure Dorian. Do not pick up the phone to Detroit. This guy is a wizard. He turned Anthony Mantha into a first rounder, a second rounder. Jacob Rana, who can potentially be a second line forward, his potential second line forward. Panic, solid bottom six guy. All for Anthony Mantha, who's a solid player, but a second rounder in Vrana at that point would have been enough, in my opinion, let alone panic in a first. It's. This is a wild trade, and um, Steve Eiserman once again shows his he, that he's a wizard. And um, Brandon, I can tell that you have a lot to say here. So, what do you have to say about this one? I don't think it's a total runaway victory for Detroit. Uh, I think anytime you get more assets, you're more likely to come away doing better in the trade. I mean, you just look at how the Carlson trade aged, right? Like Ottawa got a ton of assets, but they didn't look like anything. Um, Meanwhile, that turns into Josh Norris, Tim Stutzla and Rudy Balsers, who should still be in Ottawa, but I digress. Uh, But, but yeah, like (laughs) the, the thing about the thing about the Mantha situation is, when the trade first came through and it was Jakob Rana and Richard Panic for Anthony Mantha, I was like, that's a pretty good deal for both sides. I mean, if you look at Mantha and Verana, their numbers are pretty similar. So throwing Panic in there is is like seems like a good sweetener for Washington. But yeah. then you mm-hmm. toss in sure. a first and a second. It's like, what else did they get? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just Anthony Mantha. But in saying that, Anthony Mantha is a player with a skill set that when he goes to Washington, I could see his production picking up dramatically, just being around the talent that's on that team and the depth that's on that team is the big thing. Those are not uh, luxuries that he enjoyed pretty much anywhere in his time in Detroit. So being surrounded with a supporting cast, I think that Washington could get the level of production out of Mantha that they paid for. Now, in saying that, if you're looking for a team who is better suited to come out of this trade, the winner right now, it's far and away the Detroit Red Wings. You get a bona fide top six forward, a really nice depth option, a first and a second, like banana lands. Yeah. But, but 
uh, I think Mantha has the potential to pay off in spades for Washington. And this is another thing, like, I hate to go back to the Felino thing again, but there are a lot of people who thought they gave up too much by giving up a first and two fourths uh, to get him Toronto, of course, yeah. but you're a team in Washington and in Toronto who you're going for the Stanley cup this year. And I think what Tampa Bay showed teams last year is that if you go for it, then go, you know, if you're, if you're a team that's in the hunt, go for it, go yeah. all in the Panthers did the same thing. They gave up a pretty good haul for Sam Bennett, yeah. um, but it paid off for Tampa last year, right? You, they gave up first for you know, guys like Barkley Goudreau and gave up a ton of assets for uh, Blake Coleman. So, I think, and it, you know, it pays off in a Stanley cup. So I think teams are seeing that and they're saying, well, you know, a pick is a pick. We might hit, we might not, but if we get a Stanley cup, nothing else matters. Yeah. So I think it's the same approach that Washington's kind of going with. They know they have a team this year that is good enough to win. I think they're good enough to win. For sure. So, so, I mean, you know, in that sense, I like it for both sides, but I think if we're sitting and looking at it today, the winners, the Detroit Red Wings. I'm just not so sure that that'll be the case six months, a year, a few years from now. Two things. One, get Anderson, Craig Anderson, Sens legend, best goaltender in Sens history, a damn cup, Washington. All right. Hell yeah. Two. Number two, I listen, I think Anthony Mantha is going to be a great player on Washington. And I agree. You know, him being insulated with uh, times five talent compared to what he had in Detroit is incredible. That being said, trading a first rounder or a second rounder and a player like Vrana, who has less of a ceiling uh, than Mantha, but they're still at the same sort of level right now. I'd say Mantha's a little better, but at the same time, you know, you're trading a lot for a guy like Anthony Mantha. So, you know, for Washington, hey, Mantha's going to do great things for you, and he's going he's gonna to definitely help that team win a cup potentially. But for Detroit, who's in a rebuilding stage, they got a young player in Vrana a depth player in panic who they can flip for a third or a second rounder potentially in a year or two. And then they also got a first and second round pick. And you're giving that more draft assets to Steve Eiserman, who's a wizard. So that itself is a win for Detroit fans because Stevie Y is the best general manager potentially in sports right now. I'm not afraid to say that. I think you're, you definitely have a good argument that he's the best in hockey. Um, Julian Breezeball in Tampa Bay is up there too, but I mean, a lot of that core was built him, by right? Steve. Right. Yeah, exactly. It was built by Steve Eiserman. Yeah. Um, you know, I really like the direction that this Red Wings team is going in. I don't like that they're in the same division as the Ottawa Senators no. when things go back to normal next year. But when you think of, the pool that they have right away. I think they're a year or two behind Ottawa in the sense that their prospects are younger and haven't quite developed yet. So whereas guys, yeah. So whereas guys like Drake Batherson and Tim Stutzla and Josh Norris have taken steps this year and Eric Branstrom, you can throw him in that mix too. Um, Detroit is still waiting on guys like Mo Sider and Philip Zadina and and players like that to kind of figure it out. Um, but they are building the foundation for a team that I think could very well be a juggernaut. I like what their mentality is in building the bottom six. Um, I like what they're doing in terms of the blue line. Um, I mean, they've got their guy, their captain and Dylan Larkin. That's a team that's going to be a problem three to five years from now. Like yeah. that's going to be a team that's in the mix. So especially with the boatload of assets that they're recouping for everything. I really like Iserman's approach. Um, but again, like if we're sitting at looking at it right now, if you're a Washington Capitals team that's going for a Stanley Cup this year in one of the last years of Alex Ovechkin's prime, and I don't, I believe he, well, I'm sure he'll, I'm sure he'll resign with Washington next year, but that's a guy whose contract's up at the end of the year, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm not, I wouldn't so you, be worried about that if I'm a Washington fan. Yeah, but you got to go for it, right? And that's what for I'm sure. saying is like you, you want to prove to this guy that you're in it, you're in it to get him another Stanley Cup and and help him hit that uh, historic goals total. So. Yeah. I like it for both sides. Um, again, I'm a broken record. I think Detroit sits in a better position to win the trade right now, but it's going to take time to see how this thing fully plays out to really appreciate who got the better of who, if anyone did, it could just end up being an even transaction, right? Is there any, uh, any other trades you wanted to discuss before we move things forward? Is there anything that jumped out to you? Cause it was a pretty quiet deadline. So, yeah, well, what are your thoughts on the Felino deal? Because, I mean, we know mine, and I love it. I love Nick Felino. I mean, you know, we find we don't love the Leafs in Sens no. land here, but looking no. at it objectively, I'm like, I'm like, if, you know, if Nick Felino and Jason Spezza and Joe Thornton win a Stanley Cup together, like, 
be hard for me to not take a little bit of pleasure in that. I'm going to get canceled for saying that, but, but it's true, right? Like you got the some trade, of the most lovely. The trade, the trade will be worth it. If we get one Felino jump in Toronto, if we get one Felino jump, then it will be worth it. No, but in all reality for Toronto, they got to win a playoff series. So they're going to do everything they can. They haven't won. They haven't Jack S. I'm not going to say the word. They haven't done anything in the last four to five years. Okay. They haven't done anything since um, 2003, 2004. 2004 when they knocked the Sens out, yeah. Exactly. So for Toronto, yes, they're getting rid of a first-round pick. Good. This team needs to start (laughs) doing something. You know, like what are are they waiting for? They got Matthews going insane, scoring goals left, right, and center. Varner's playing unreal. William Nylander is getting uh, crapped on for no reason. This guy is still a stud. This team is well-gelled. Jack Campbell stopping pucks for them. Hopefully he can keep on doing that. Their defense, well-rounded now. Nothing crazy for them. It's a stable game. This is the team for – this is the year for Toronto. So, sure, give up a first-round pick. Give up a couple of fourths. Who cares? Go all in. Nick Foligno, think... Jason Spezza. You got all these talented players. You got all that leadership. They've never won a playoff series. So, Matthews, <laughs> Marner, they're not going to – people understand this. They're, these guys are not going to push them through. They're yeah. going to push them through by scoring, but you need that guy in the locker room to be like, hey, guys, we got this. Spezza, Felino, you got, uh, of course, Thornton. Like, I could go mm. through the whole list. They got a lot of veteran leaders in there, and that's going to help them big time. Well, it's interesting. I had Sean McKenzie of, from Sportsnet on my show not long ago, and this is a guy who's at least practices every yeah. day. Um, you know, he sees this team probably closer than anyone, especially in COVID times. And he said the biggest difference – um then uh, with this team than the one in years past is just the attitude so whereas a year whereas a year or two ago they would have had a bad loss and you look and you're looking at them going like oh this is this is where they start Mm -hmm. to spiral the next this year the next day of practice after they got blown out you got joe thornton joking around yelling at people you know just keeping things light um and I, it, it really does sound like these vets are what's going to make the make the difference. I mean, this is the first year, in all honesty, even goaltending aside, I'm looking at Toronto and I'm going, oh, that team is a problem yeah, in the playoffs. This, this, that's it. That's this is this is literally the first year. I'm like, if Toronto won the cup this year, and hates me, I hate to say this, but as a journalist, student, I got to be objective. And yeah, yeah. At, at the end of the day, this Toronto team is pretty good. And my point is, like, like you just said, sure, Matthews and Marner are going to score the goals. But they're not going to get you far because they don't have, mm-hmm. they don't have that experience. They don't have, they don't have that. Well, even beyond, have, even beyond that, that yet. And then even beyond like that, Felino look at their bottom six. Push this locker room forward. Keep things positive. And that, if one playoff run is all going to take, in my opinion, if mm-hmm. they go to the conference final with Felino, Spezza, and whatever Matthews and Marner, these guys are going to learn so much. And then moving forward, they're going to be okay. But they need to get that experience and desperately because. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. This team has been cup contenders for four years now. They haven't won one playoff round. So yeah. It's- well, look at how much better they are defensively in their bottom six now, right? You bring in yeah, Nick Foligno, who's who's one of the better checking forwards in the league, better penalty killers. Yeah. You add him to Spezza, Thornton, Kerfoot, Hyman. You're like, oosh, I wouldn't want to see them in the playoffs right now. The issue is with the cap hit not going up really the next five years. Like we've said multiple times, this is the year. Next year, they yeah. have to trade a lot of people. So it's yes. this year. Or nothing. And um, actually, good good segue. Jack Campbell, future mm-hmm. starting goalie for the Toronto Maple Leafs. What do you think? I don't know. It, it's tough to say. Um, 11 and 0 is no small feat. And I know there have been nights where the team has bailed him out. Um, like the other night against Ottawa, I mean, giving up five goals, you probably don't deserve to win as a goaltender. But having said that, everything the guy has battled through, like it's been well documented what he's gone through off the ice. And yeah. even this year, his injury history, like he hasn't been healthy this whole stretch this year, at least not completely. So, I mean, I look at it like we know how volatile goalies are. So I think if you, I think he is at the right time where he could get hot and he could ride this team to the Stanley cup. Um, yeah, I really, I really I really believe he could like another um, way situation potentially. Huh? Yeah, exactly. And the way the team is playing in front of him too, they're playing inspired. They clearly love playing in front of him. Yeah. Um, but we could also see a situation where we get to the playoffs and Freddie Anderson comes back rested and is just lights out, you know, like after having whatever it ends up being like two months off, cause he won't be back until playoffs. Yeah. So 
so from there, like you, you have good options. Even a guy like David Riddich, who they picked up yesterday, like the Leafs have options in net. So to, to answer your question, is Campbell their guy? I don't know. I think for right now he is. Um, and I think that could carry over into the playoffs, but for the first time in a while, the Leafs have, the good kind of goalie controversy yeah. where you have three guys that could realistically carry you deep into the playoffs. Um, I think it'll end up being Campbell or it'll end up being Anderson. But I, if, if you're asking me right now, I'm saying Campbell. Yeah. Uh, I'll say one thing. I don't, I disagree with the Riddick thing. I don't think he can take you far in the playoffs uh, to be honest. I think he, he's a good goalie, but he's not going to take you far in the playoffs. In my opinion, he's too inconsistent, but Campbell and Freddie Anderson, for sure. That being said, Freddie Anderson's gone after the series. He's not going to be a Toronto Maple Leaf next year. There's no way they can keep him. And I think for a team like Toronto, what they should have done, if if especially with Buffalo, Linus Allmark, that guy is a, the next star goaltender in the league, in my opinion. He's very underrated. He's carrying that Buffalo team, which is terrible, and giving them wins. So a team like Toronto should be looking at a guy like Linus Allmark and be like, okay, Jack Campbell, he could potentially be the next Linus Allmark. Chris Drager. He could potentially be the next Linus Allmark. So, you know, for Toronto, they got to look for a younger type of 1A, 1B situation. And I think Jack Campbell certainly could be a part of that. Uh, but yeah, it's really intriguing. And I look forward to uh, seeing what Toronto can do in the near future with that goaltending sp- uh, position. Because like you said, this is the first time in a while that they've had a positive goaltending co- controversy. Now, like you said earlier, uh, when we're speaking about Victor Mete and tonight's game against Winnipeg Jets, um, we're getting an interesting pairing on the second pairing for Ottawa with Eric Brandstrom being paired with RTM Zub. Sense Twitter is going to go nuts tonight unless they do bad, and then they're going to be very quiet. But if they do great, Sense Twitter is going to be parading about this. So uh, I'm personally on Sense Twitter, and I'm speaking to myself there too. If they suck, I'm going to be very quiet. And if they're good, I'm going to make sure you hear about it. Um, but what do you think, Brandon? What do you think about this exciting pair? Thomas Shabbat has been Ottawa's best defenseman this year, but Artem Zub has been their most consistent. Yes. Um, he, he's been an even keel guy no matter who he's playing with, whether he's playing with Shabbat or Mike Riley or Braden Coburn. Um, he's only had one or two games where you're going, ah, he didn't play great. But even then, it's like it hasn't been glaring. You haven't seen the glaring mistakes that you've seen from some of Ottawa's other defenders. So that's all Former. around about – Former defender. Yes, former. Yes. That's that's all a roundabout <laughs> way of saying that I think he's going to do wonders for Eric Branstrom. Um, Branstrom is a guy right now who needs defensive stability. If you look at what he can do offensively, his impact in the offensive zone and on the rush is if it's not better than Shabbat, it's up there. Like he's been really dynamic with the puck on his stick this year. But defensively, he's been a bit of a train wreck. And I don't hesitate to say that because he's a young player uh, who is still figuring it out at the NHL level. Yeah, for sure. Um, So, like, that's not a bad thing that he's not good defensively. Um, It just means he has more growth, more growth to do. So uh, I think uh, Zub will kind of stabilize him in that sense. Uh, and we'll probably see a better Eric Branstrom for it. And if we don't, that's okay. Like if he, if he spends some more time in Belleville this year, it's not the end of the world. I I know fans aren't going to love that because at the end of the day, he does need to be playing some games, but if this kid's just getting caved in on a nightly basis defensively, then let him go down where he can dominate, where he can handle himself a little better and and come back next year. So I think Eric Branstrom is going to be a full-time player on the Ottawa senators roster next year. Um, but for right now, that status is a little bit in doubt as far as the rest of the season goes. But I'm really excited to see how him and Zub complement each other because you have Branstrom's dynamic offense with Zub's kind of steady two-way game. Um, and I think Zub might end up being his Dylan DeMello or his Mark Mathot. And I know that's easy to say. And I know we, we probably honestly in the Senators circles kind of throw those comparisons around a little too much. Um, but, yeah, but I no, think... I, I... I would disagree with that. I think that's a perfect example. Uh, when you're looking at Zub and Brandstrom, all you have to do is look at that first road trip for the Ottawa Sanders where we lost our first 10 out of 12 games. That defensive, yeah. Braden Coburn, Josh Brown, good Branson. They got caved in. And I mean caved in. We were losing like 9-1 to one every game, okay? And look what <laughs> happened. Zub, honestly, though, you were writing reports. I was making videos. It was not a fun time. And that's why I'm getting heated. That being mm-hmm. said, Zub... As soon as he was finally inserted into the lineup after since Twitter literally forced the Sens organization to put him into the lineup, <laughs> literally willed it into existence. Manifested it. Manifested it, exactly. 
he turned Mike Riley into a serviceable offensive defenseman with great yep. underlying numbers. Before he played with Zub, and I'm sure with him being with Good Branson's eyes of everything didn't help his advanced analytics, he was terrible. And then mm-hmm. being paired with Zub, he was fantastic. So Brandstrom, who's better than Mike Riley, in my opinion, has well, not yet, but he will be better than Mike Riley. He has the potential to be a star defenseman in the league. He needs a stabilizing presence next to him. RTM Zub, he's kind of a veteran. He's played in the KHL for a few years, like Kirill Kiprasov. I don't consider him a rookie. I'm sorry. He's he's an established pro rock, uh, yeah. hockey player. And he's going to help Brandstrom in so many ways. Um, and more importantly, he's going to learn. You can't shelter a guy, especially defense, is like a goalie. You can't shelter a defenseman on the third pairing, especially offensive defenseman, for eight to ten minutes on the third pairing every night. Gets walked on a couple of plays and then bench him. All you're doing is killing his offensive confidence and killing his confidence as a whole to defend the puck. What you need to do is put him out there with a stable presence like Zub and give him the mm-hmm. minutes and let him learn from his mistakes. And that's what Ottawa. That's what Ottawa is going to do in the last. 14 games in the season, and um, that's what Brandstrom has desperately needed. Yeah, we shouldn't expect Zub to come in and immediately rectify all of Eric Brandstrom's defensive issues, though. Like, that's that's something that's going to take time. And I know fans sure. are eager eager to see some quick fixes, especially – and it's, I can't blame them after everything they've seen over the past few years. It's been a hard few years. Yeah. Um, what I mean when I say that the comparison gets thrown around a little bit too much is that, like, Carlson and Mathot, that was lightning in a bottle. Um, those yeah. were two guys who had chemistry on and off the ice, yeah. um, complemented each other so perfectly in their styles of play. Um, so to get so to expect that of Artem Zub and Eric Branstrom is not fair to either guy. Um, sure. To also to also say that all of Mike Riley's success can be attributed to Artem Zub, I think that does a bit of a disservice to Riley, just because you know you did see him make some changes um, in his play style. And no, my, my- did, did did Zub free him up for sure? Absolutely, like Zub definitely helped stabilize him, um, and probably you know, more so than an Erica Branson or a Josh Brown did. Uh, but I think that, you know, these are still at the end of the day, two guys who are getting acclimatized to the NHL game. Yeah. Like Zub is a bona fide pro. Yes, but it's still his first year in the national hockey league. So I think they're going to do really well together. I'm definitely not saying they're not like, I'm really eager to see this pairing, <laughs> yeah. but, but by the same token, I think we do need to temper our expectations a bit. Uh, just in the sense that this is still an extremely young raw talent in Eric Branstrom that has more work to do in his own end of the ice. But I, I do think that Artem Zub can only do good things for his game and only serve to help him as a player. My, my, you're, you're definitely right. And my point really is the fact that Mike Riley, he's not a defensive defenseman. Eric, uh, Eric Branstrom, pardon me, not good Branson, Eric Branstrom He's not an offense, uh, defensive defenseman either. They're both offensive defensemen. RTM Zub, more of a two-way uh, stay-at-home anchor defenseman, okay? So what that gives uh, for an offensive defenseman is, okay, I can pinch up. I can trust that somebody's back. And that alone will improve you know, their ability to individually develop their own game. Because if they know and they have the assurance that there's somebody back, they can play their game. They're not playing out of their style. So that's what I meant. RTM Zoo yeah, is going to give the back-end presence that they need to play their own game, and that way they're more comfortable, and then they can work out their own issues. So you're definitely mm-hmm. right, and I would like to say both us, both Brandons here are 100% right on this one. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, man. I think I think it's going to be fun. I'm excited to see what they can do. I'm excited to see what JBD brings to this blue line and what Pinto looks like, maybe even between Tim Stutzla and somebody else. Like, Great. you know, there's a there's a lot of young players coming up that I'm really, really curious to see how they do. Great transition, Brandon, because the next <laughs> question or next kind of topic I want to discuss is in a recent video, I mentioned how like you just said, Shane Pinto next to Drake Batherson and Tim Stutzler would be a dream. Pinto is winning over 60% of faceoffs in the NCAA this season, which is very good if you were not aware. That's Antoine Vermette type numbers. That's insane. It's actually right? so, good. Yeah, it's 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 ridiculous. So what do you how are you how are you feeling about the incoming debuts of firstly Shane Pinto and then number 48, JBD? Well, I'm ecstatic. I mean, I think JBD is a guy that could have walked into training camp this year and earned a spot on the Ottawa Senators. Um, In speaking with him, I know that 
the way last season ended with the COVID stoppage may have played a part in his decision to return to college for another year. Um, but he's a guy who's pro ready. He, you know, we talk about Artem Zub as a stable two-way guy. That's Jacob Bernard Docker to a T. Uh, he has some offensive flair and some offensive ability, but he's never at a position. Um, he plays the body when he has to, but he lets it come to him. He doesn't run around chasing big hits. Um, his angles are exceptional. His stick work is phenomenal. He doesn't take a lot of penalties. Like I, I love everything about Jacob Bernard Docker's game. I think he's a stud. I think he could end up as a top pairing guy on the right side, uh, which yeah. is what you come to expect out of a first rounder. But I mean, I really do believe that Bernard Docker has that kind of seeing stealing. Sorry. Um, and as far as Pinto goes, he re- he's an interesting one. Um, you know, the comparison to Patrice Bergeron has been made, and I don't want to put that on him because I don't know if he'll ever reach that level of talent. Yeah. Um, but Pinto, in a sense, reminds me of a modern sort of Mike Fisher type player, um, a guy who will probably score between 20 and 30 goals a year, uh, be solid defensively, maybe less of a physical edge, good on faceoffs, reliable in his own zone, um, especially in the later part of his career. Um, I, Pinto probably has a little more in the way of dynamic offensive ability. Um, but having said that, um, it is tough to compare those guys just based on the areas they played in. But the larger point I'm getting at with Pinto is I think as of right now, he's going to be a solid middle six option. Um, if you play yeah. him with guys like Tim Stutzla, or even guys like Batherson, I think that is only going to serve him better. Um, I think you're going to see his production go up with with when he plays with skilled players. Yeah. But ultimately, you're getting a guy who's going to be sound defensively, fantastic on faceoffs, maybe a little bit of a Colin White 2.0 in the sense that Pinto could potentially bring a bit more in the way of speed and skill. But I could not be more excited to watch either of these guys. Like when they, when they do probably get in the lineup later this week, like I'm, I'm really, really excited. I watched a ton of them at UND um, and I've watched them both at internationally and at the world juniors and can't say enough about either player. And they're both great people too. So, so really, really excited to see them uh, as part of the Ottawa senators. JB Dewey, I have slotted in. Honestly, I, my defensive pairings would be Shabbat with JB Dewey. Second pairing, Brandstrom and Zub, and then third, Mete and Zaitsev. So having uh, JBD on the first pairing, in my projection anyways, to have him on the first pairing, I think some people would find that crazy. But like you just said, JBD is a rare type of prospect where he can settle in and play top-line minutes right away in the NHL. And I think many analysts would agree that, sure, uh, you know, you can't just throw him into the fire but he could handle it at least. And he definitely could handle it. Now, definitely you should transition him slowly. All I'm trying to say is if he played top blind minutes with Thomas Shabbat, he can handle it. And that's how good yeah, he, of a player he, he is. He, he could get there quickly, right? Like that's yeah. what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Like he he's so good that if you threw him out there with Shabbat right now, trying to get some chemistry and trying to test it out, I think he would do well and he wouldn't really struggle. He would struggle mm-hmm. a bit, but he'd be okay. He's that good yeah. of a player, in my opinion. He's that serviceable. Shane Pinto is a little different. I think his ceiling is higher. I think Shane Pinto could potentially reach a Bergeron, Shifley type of level. I also think he can, you know, cap out at more of a middle six type forward. It, it, it really depends on how he adapts to the NHL game. Um, you know, the good thing about NCAA is it allows you to develop your physicality game and allows you to play against phys- bigger men. Uh, junior hockey, like, and uh, like CHL doesn't allow you to do that. NCAA does. They're playing against older men. So Shane Pinto as a center needs to be able to be physical and he already has that. So I think he has an advantage when it comes to yeah. physicality part of his game. And I think that's why I think his ceiling's higher. And that's why I think he has a big chance to be a top six center next year with the Ottawa Sanders. Uh, Josh Norris, I think is Kyle Turris 2.0. Now, hopefully Shane Pinto is the number one center that Ottawa has been looking for for years. Unless Tim Stutzla is. Which I think, I, I think, I think that's, I think that's coming. Maybe as soon as next year. Um, this is obviously speculative, speculative at this point, yeah. but I think, you know, if you're rocking with a core next year of Tim Stutzla, Shane Pinto, Colin White, and Josh Norris down the middle, like you're doing pretty well. Nor- yes. Norris has even shown shades of being. Um, I think he has the potential to be that kind of one B type of center, like Kyle um, Turris. Yeah, like a Kyle Turris or even yeah. like a Logan Couture in San Jose, right? Yeah. 
Um, so I really, really like what I've seen from him so far. I think, I think the plan is to play Tim Stutzle at center. And I don't yes. think people should be fooled by him playing on the wing this year. Everyone's saying, move him to center now, like relax. Like the center, the senators have some good young centers. Stutzle is still a 19 year old kid. That's probably dealing with some fatigue. Um, and you're going to throw him at center in a division where he has to play one of Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews or, you know, even Elias Patterson, like every night, like, no, like, why would you do that to him? Um, ease him into it next year. Like give him an off season to get bigger bulk up a little bit. Um, get a, get an off season training program where he's practicing and preparing to play center. And you go from there and you know, if it doesn't work out, you can always transition him back to the wing. So and I, th- I, I think, I think their main center core involves the guys of like white Pinto and Norris don't know how much of a future Logan Brown has left with this team, but that's here nor there. Um, but yeah, I think Stutzla is their, uh, their, their top line. Number one guy, long-term two things. One breaking news. Uh, Julian Edelman just officially retired. So respect to uh, a Jewish football legend. Um, I'm a 49ers fan, but big, re- big respect and uh, best of luck with him in the, in his retirement. Now that being said with Colin white, like you said, you think he's the future of uh, part of the future and center. I think for the next two years, Yes. But after that, no, I think he's going to be transitioned to the right wing potentially with a Ridley Greg being brought up and a few other prospects being down there that could potentially play uh, a center position. I think uh, white will be transitioned to a wing, a, a wing role. That being yep. said though, with Igor Sokolov coming up, Vitaly Abramov coming up, I could fully be wrong, but it, you know, I could fully see Colin white being transitioned to a, a wing role because I don't think they want him in the third line. I'd be fine with him in the third line, but I think he has good offensive potential. And I think him in the top six would be great. But hey, if Colin White's our third line center of the future, sign yeah. me up. I'm very okay with that. Mm-hmm. I think as far as White is concerned, his defensive impact is going to outweigh his offensive production. And that's not knocking his offensive production. The guy can score. Um, he's really good at finding open teammates. So yeah. I think you could be onto something there where uh, a Ridley Gregg could come up and play center or even a Mark Kaslik eventually. Yeah. Um, Sokolov coming up too. I or think even White a free is, agent. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I think yeah, I think White is in this for the long haul unless they yeah. trade him eventually. Um, but I mean, you know, you're, you're spot on when you say if Colin white is centering your third line or your fourth line, especially two years from now, like you're in good shape. Uh, and that's the thing, right. With the, with the depth that the senators have in their young players and their prospects. I mean, there are these questions of, of who's going to play where, if, and when Ridley Greg comes up, if, and when Sokolov comes up, sounds like Alex Formanton has cemented himself as a full-time NHL player and, and rightfully, yeah. And rightfully so, um, so, yeah, I mean, it is interesting to speculate. Uh, I think White is a core member of this team. Um, but, I, you know, with the depth that they have in their system, like nothing would surprise me at this point. Speaking of depth in the system, the goaltending depth in the Senator system is second to none in the National Hockey League. They have numerous potential starters. Levy Merlainen is in Finland right now. Matt Stogard's in Denmark right now. You have Matt Murray, who signed on a four-year $6.25 million deal. Gustafson, Hogberg, Forsberg, Joey Decord. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and say Hogberg and Forsberg will not be goaltenders of the future. Uh, no disrespect to them, just not good. That's just likely not going to happen. They're they're a little too old in their careers. But I want to discuss Joey Decord, Philip Gustafson, and Matt Murray. Those are the three presumptive uh, goaltenders that are going to be battling for a spot in next year's camp. Who makes it and why? And do you think Ottawa tries to get rid of Matt Murray very soon? I don't think they try to get rid of him. Um, you know, maybe if a new GM comes in the comes in in the offseason and something changes, that's a possibility. But I don't think they're attempting to move Matt Murray. I don't think they protect him in the expansion draft. Yeah. Um, I, I think he gets exposed to Seattle. So if he gets claimed, then he gets claimed. Doubt he will. Would shock me if he did. I don't um, think he will. No, not with that contract. But. Uh, to answer your question, as far as training camp is concerned, I actually wrote a piece on the on the Senators goalies not long ago. And what I settled on is Matt Murray is going to be in the mix. I mean, you're not paying him, what is it, a $25 million contract yeah. to, to, to sit in the press box or to back up. Uh, so I think Matt Murray, and I still think Matt Murray will figure it out. Hopefully, uh, yeah, still, I think so. Yeah. I'm still hopeful in that regard. Yeah. I think Joey Decord is the number two goalie coming out of camp next year. 
and that's not a knock on Philip Gustafson. I think Decord is more pro ready. Yes. Uh, and the other, yeah. And the other part of the equation is he's older. Um, so with Gustafson, he's what 22, I think. So, so there's no reason to rush him. Uh, Decord has a little bit more pedigree. He's a little bit, little bit more seasoned. Um, and from what we saw, not that Gustafson wasn't fantastic also, but from what we saw, we saw flashes of a guy that can compete for a starting spot in the NHL. So I think Murray and, and uh, Decord battle it out next year. And there's nothing wrong with having Gustafson and, you know, Kevin Mandelis or even whoever, like Matt Sogard or Marilinen or whoever come in and, and hold the fort down in Belleville. Um, I think Gustafson and Mandelis will probably be their Belleville guys next year. Don't know what's going to happen with the ECHL situation as it currently stands. The Senators don't have an ECHL affiliate with the folding of the Brampton Beast. Yeah. Um, so I think that if and when they do find another ECHL team, because I would imagine that they will, uh, then you'll probably see guys like uh, Matt Sogard and Marilinen or whoever else down there. Uh, and I would expect that Mandalees and Gustafson are the guys in Belleville next year. So all of that is to say that Matt Murray and Joey Decord will be the goaltenders for the Ottawa Senators next season, barring some unforeseen circumstance. I can see that for sure. Mandalese and Gustafson in the AHL makes sense. Murray and Joey Decord makes sense in the AHL next year. That's that's assuming, of course, Seattle doesn't take Joey Decord. Knock on what they don't. ECHL, they yeah, ECHL. Regardless of if we have um, uh, an affiliate or not. I don't think we leave you. Merlainen will leave next year. I think he'll probably stay in Europe for another year. But Matt Sogard, he's a guy that's definitely going to come over here. I know that's, that's basically been confirmed by Pierre Dorian already. So he'll be signed here after his Danish playoff run is done. And I think that'd be great. Uh, that's sort of like how Hogberg started out in Brampton too. So that'd be good. Uh, and yeah, you know, with Matt Murray, listen, he's getting a lot of work right now with Zach Burke, the new Sens goaltending coach. We hope the best for him. Listen, not only because he seems like a good person and we never want to wish anything bad on somebody, but also the Sanders put a lot of money into this guy and he, for both parties, it would just be, it would be better if it worked out. So hopefully he could get things um, figured out and uh, we look forward to seeing him very soon. Now we already spoke with the, the, the forwards and the young forwards that we have here. So I'm not going to really touch up on that enough. Uh, again, I want to really discuss about who assembled that forward group. And that would be Sanders general manager, Pierre Dorian my question for you is, is Pierre Dorian the right general manager to take us to a cup championship? And then off with a hardball, eh? Yeah. Um, I think Pierre Dorian's seat is getting toasty right now. Yes, I would agree. I, th- I think it's, it's getting hot, warm. It's toasty. Yeah. I, I mean, if you look at what has happened this season, and it's, people are not going to like me saying this, but throwing the cup across the press box after the loss to the Maple Leafs and firing a goalie coach mid-season after you only got, what, 13 games of Matt Murray? Something is going on, I think. I think there is there are change, like there this Some pressure. Yeah, I think changes are trying to be accelerated. Um, so... Is Pierre Dorian the right guy? Like, let's say he gets, you know, a three-year extension or whatever, or a two-year extension after this season. Is he the right guy to lead them to a championship? I'm going to say no, but it's not an emphatic no. Uh, I think he has done a phenomenal job of building the core of this team, especially given the circumstances, which we were all painfully aware of. Uh, I think whether he fell bass backwards into it or not, he got a fantastic return for Eric Carlson. Uh, Tim Stutzla, Josh Norris, you know, like those are some prime assets that are going to be a big part of this team's future. Um, not getting a first from Mark Stone is inexcusable, but Eric Branstrom is a pretty nice consolation. It, if not a number one left defenseman, then a number two. Yeah. Um, and, you know, guys like Batherson and Formanton, like those were all Pierre Dorian drafts. So to that end, he's been the right guy to build the amateur part of this team. But the pro scouting has historically not been there. The talent evaluation has not been there. And even, you know, aside from guys like Matt Murray, um, 
who you can, I love the trade. Not sure. I love the contract with regards to Matt Murray. I, I think the Evgeny Dadinov contract is fine. And I think that's going to pay off in spades in the next couple of years. Um, but you look at, you know, the Derek Stepan acquisition and you look at the asset management surrounding letting Borvietsky go and good Branson and bringing in good Branson and not getting an asset to take him on. And the Hoffman for Bodker thing that we always go back to. I don't have enough faith in Pierre Dorian's pro scouting ability um, and asset management capabilities to unequivocally say that he is the guy to lead the Ottawa senators to a Stanley cup. But that's not to say I know who is Um, I don't, I don't know if there is someone that can lead this Ottawa senators team to a Stanley cup because it's hard to win the Stanley cup. Um, But if we're talking based on pure resume right now, I don't think Pierre Dorian is the guy. I, I just, I don't, I love what he's done in building the core through the draft and through, um, you know, capitalizing on expiring assets for financial and draft capital, but don't have enough faith in his ability to make trades and sign the key free agents that the senators will need to win a Stanley cup. What many people, not you specifically, but what many people fail to recognize um, with Pierre Dorian and I know you have recognized this before. So once again, I'm not specifically calling you out, <clears throat> but Pierre Dorian has the smallest front office in the national hockey league. They have literally no scouts. They have no front office personnel, except a couple executives and assistant general manager. And this is a rookie general manager who has only been a general manager for a few years. And he has no one in that management group that has had any experience as a national hockey league general manager. So with that being said, many general managers in this National Hockey League and sports as a whole have the benefit of learning and growing uh, with a fellow uh, assistant general manager, president of hockey operations, assistant general manager, general manager. Pierre Dorian was blessed to be with the late and great Brian Murray uh, when he was uh, starting off his career with Ottawa Sanders. Pierre Dorian needs another assistant general manager. Pierre Dorian needs the president of hockey operations. Pierre Dorian needs an adequate front office. So he's made some great trades. He's also made some bad trades. The Bogdor trade is terrible. And there's many other examples of him making bad trades. So yes, his pro scouting is bad too, but you, you put thousands of responsibilities to one guy with no outs, with no outcast of support. Of course, of course the results are not going to be as good as possible. So if we sign him right now to a five-year deal, I would be upset. But if we gave Pierre Dorian another two to three-year deals, I'd be okay with that because he has built this core, he's built this young group, and he deserves to at least give it a shot at the playoffs before he's released. Yeah, and he's done good things. Like getting Thomas Shabbat signed to an eight-by-eight deal is is fantastic. I think the Colin White trade is going to smell – or sorry, the Colin White extension is going to smell like roses very soon. Yeah. I would agree. Brady Kachuk's contract negotiation is going to be telling. Um, And I think that'll play a big part in any of the off season changes or lack thereof that the senators make. Uh, I don't know if they want to bring in a new GM to negotiate with Brady Kachuk, but I also don't know that they want Pierre Dorian to negotiate with Brady Kachuk. You just, you just don't know. Right. Um, And again, I'm not knocking Pierre Dorian in that sense. I just, I don't know what the direction of this team is in the eyes of Eugene Melnick um, and the people making decisions, but has Dorian done a bad job? No, um, I don't think he has. He has in some aspects and he's done a really good job in some, in others. I just don't have the faith in him to sign him to an extension this summer. I'm not saying the Senator shouldn't, but you know, if, you're looking like if this team is supposed to take the leap next year, I don't know if this is the guy they take the leap with, but who knows, right? Like this is the Ottawa senators. Literally we, nothing would shock me anymore. Like nothing, nothing surprises me any, anymore. This team is a movie. <laughs> Very well put. And all I, all I'll say, like I've said in multiple of my previous videos, Ottawa needs to rebuild that front office. And it doesn't matter who you put in that general manager's uh, chair. We don't have a better front office than what we have right now. The results are going to be the same with different player names. So yeah, you're you got to build that front office money. or else nothing's going to happen. Besides yeah. that, Brandon, it's been an hour. It's been a pleasure. Um, this Saturday, you can catch you can catch Brandon and I for a 3 p.m. exclusive 
uh, pregame show on Sense Talk on youtube.com slash sense talk uh, before the Montreal Canadiens Autumn Sanders game. We're going to have a pregame show, plenty of content in that. We're going to, my producer's putting out some cool things, so stay tuned for that. We're going to have chats, interactive stuff, you name it, so be there. And uh, Brandon, why don't you tell the fans, um, besides to come on Saturday at youtube.com slash sense talk for our pregame live stream show, why don't you tell the fans where they can follow and read your stuff? You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon Mackey underscore. All the writing is at silver7cents.com. Also do some more general sports and hockey writing on my Substack, which is just mackey.substack.com. And the podcast is, of course, internal budget. New episodes mostly every week. I didn't get to one last week because of exams. There we go. There's the <laughs> love. I love you repping the swag. And yeah, gotcha. uh, thank you for having me, man. It's a blast as always. And I'm looking forward to Saturday. Pleasure, man. Uh- appreciate the free merch i have to have you on now multiple times for this exclusive shirt and uh well i look forward to having you on saturday and um you know it was a good day for to be a sense fan and i look forward to the future likewise man thank you for having me anytime